0: Pitchers and catchers are in the middle of their first day of workouts, and the Pirates have already suffered their first injury. Daniel Hudson sprained an ankle while jogging. Normally, I worry about Clint Hurdle hurting himself jogging, as in jogging out to the mound to get Daniel Hudson off of it before he can do any more damage. Actually, the truth is Hudson hurt himself chasing the Schwanz's meat truck. The Americans lost to Slovenia in Olympic hockey today. Let's make Slovenia great again. Come to think of it, was Slovenia ever great in the first place? After the game, President Trump blamed the Obama administration for the defeat. However, if it makes us feel any better, the Slovakians beat the Russians today as well. So that pretty much makes up for the Warsaw Pact invasion, I think. Take that, 1968! We're even now. I'm Tim Benz from Trib Live, ESPN Pittsburgh, and the Steelers Radio Network. I'm in for Mark Madden today. We will get to Olympic hockey in just a little bit. But first, the Penguins put on another show for the home folks last night at PPG Paints Arena. I thought the Globetrotters only came there one night a year around Christmas. Now it looks like they've had a month-long occupancy with the way this hockey team has been playing of late up in the hill. Forget Andrew W.K., it's time to start playing Sweet George Brown. The Pens haven't lost at home in their last nine faceoffs, and they're averaging over five goals a game. So, aside from that, eh, nothing to cheer about in the new building, I guess. You're just going to have to wait patiently until Kid Rock comes in March. I am the bull god. Last night it was Carl Hagelin and Evgeny Malkin putting on the Ritz against Ottawa, and that 6 3 win heard right here in the X. No look pass to no look shot, beating a goalie in. Mike Condon, who was looking the other way, anticipating a wraparound. Zach Aston Reese pushed up to Sid's line. He scored twice, once on an empty net. Jake Gensel got it going with two goals. In fact, he outworked Dion Phaneuf so badly on the second goal, Ottawa just traded him mid-game. Dion, take the rest of the night off. Visit the waiting room outside the visiting locker room and just hang out there for 48 hours till the Kings come to town. We'll tell Alicia Cuthbert you're not coming home tonight. And we won't tell Sean Avery. So the Penguins now have 68 points. That's just shy of the caps for the Metro lead by three. They've won seven of ten. As a result, I, I, I keep getting this. I've gotten a lot lately, especially since I've been doing Mark's show this week. I've gotten a few times over on the phones or in tweets. Are the Penguins good enough now to win the cup again as currently constructed? If the Pens don't make a trade of significance, are they good enough to win the cup again? And my answer, despite the fact that they're playing great, is still no. Because keep in mind, they're still only five points clear of being left out of a wild card spot, as much as they are three points away from being the top spot in Metro. That's how jammed up the East is. That's how compact it is. They're almost as close to first in the Metro as they are to ninth in the conference. Couple of nights without at least grabbing a loser point, and then you're going to start sweating again. As great as the Penguins look right now, and they do look great, I say some reinforcements are still needed before the trade deadline. What say you? Four one two three 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 ninety nine thirty nine. And part of the reason I say that is and please grab whatever piece of wood you have available and knock on it thoroughly. Have you seen how healthy they've stayed this year? I mean, we're talking about Sid, Gino, Letang, Dumo, Mata, even Mr. Black Cat. These guys have all played over 50 games. They've avoided the crucial injury bug that they so often deal with. And, so much of this great play of late has been because the stars have been shining brighter than ever. The sweet George Brown thing I referenced is no BS. It's the stars being at their... Letang, did I say Letang in that? Maybe I did, maybe I didn't, but he's been above 50 games. I mean, my God! Talk about a guy who's had a bad injury run. Chris Letang, chief among them. So, my point is, if they've managed to avoid so much injury from so many of their stars for so long, if they're due for something like that, then I want to see the depth bolstered. That's why I'm saying what I'm saying. And I also say that because in each of the last few cup runs, in-season trade acquisitions and call-ups were pivotal in the Penguins winning the Stanley Cup both times. Hainsy, Streit, Hagelin, Gensel, Schultz, Rust, Sheary, Murray, they were all in-season call-ups or additions to the team that played crucial roles in those clubs' success. Admittedly, some of those components are already present on this current club, like Alexiak or Aston Reese or Simone, etc. But for as happy as you may be with the way things are going, there's still room to put better bodies on the roster. I mean, for instance, Derek Brassard, that trade talk, right? I mean, he'd do anything last night to dissuade you from saying, hey, he'd look good in black and gold. I mean, the asking price is stupid, but if it comes down to it, did you see anything from him last night to change your mind from thinking that he'd be a good fit here in Pittsburgh? He rifled a goal past Murray, attempted seven shots, gone three on net, was a real presence for the first 30 minutes, was on the ice for a couple of the Penns' goals, but at least held his own in the face-off circle. He won 11 of 18. Two hits, two takeaways, the most ice time of any center on the club. Yeah, he'd be expensive, but he could help the Penguins. And that's not a slight on Riley Shane. That's not saying Sheehan couldn't still play the role of third-line center, but you want to put Broussard on the fourth line? Fine, go ahead. But I think he's a third-line guy, and you upgrade offensively, too, unless you think Carter Rowney can be the fourth-line center for an entire playoff run. I don't. I've always thought he's better on the wing. So then you've got a problem if you don't get a guy, because your other top eight are set if Shea and remains your third-line center. Gino, the other two. Kessel, Hornquist, Gensel, Sherry, Rust, and Haglin are the wings. There, that's your top nine in whatever configuration you want to make, however you want to throw the jigsaw puzzle pieces into the air and have them fall, that's your top nine. Now, for everybody else, that leaves two spots on the fourth line for eight guys. Simone O'Rowney as the center if you don't get a guy to go along with Riley Shea. And then you've got Aston Reese, Bluger, D, Sprong, Kunakle, Reeves, bring back the kegger, Three out of those nine, that's the configuration that's going to be your fourth line if you don't add somebody. So I'd like to see one more center added, then mix up the wings accordingly, night to night if you have to. Now what about defense? Mike Lang was on with us yesterday, and Lang says the Penguins, he thinks, are set on defense. To me, the Penguins are
1: as as blessed as anybody. I think they've got maybe among the best uh, depth as far as that's concerned within a price range in which that's what you have to do Tim it isn't like you go out and buy guys Mm -hmm. I mean it's awfully difficult to put guys within a cap and I think the Penguins have 8 or 9 defensemen that can play in the National Hockey League so uh, they're way ahead of that curve in my opinion that's what makes them kind of strong uh, going to a playoff round and the fact that they do have and they've shown that uh, over the last 2 to 3 years uh, just how much depth they have they've had to use a lot of people
0: Now, I think that's a little aggressive by Mike I do Now, now keep in mind, the Penguins' defense has had to go eight deep in both of their cup runs here. The seventh and eighth right now are Ruedel and Hunwick. Ask yourself if in the Eastern Conference Finals against Tampa or Boston or Toronto or whoever, uh, you want a potential bottom pair of Hunwick and Ruedel out there. Uh, I don't. I shouldn't be the least bit opposed to the notion of Jim Rutherford going out there and finding Ron Hainsey 2.0 again at the deadline. Maybe even someone with a little bit more offensive skill if Letang or Schultz should go down. And, you know, we could already make the argument that Ron Hainsey 2.0 is already here and it's Alexiak. I think that's a fair point. You know, three puck-moving, offensively capable guys like Daley, Schultz, and Letang all available after the trade deadline. That was crucial to Pittsburgh's survival in the playoffs the last two years. So now, uh, you know, I'm not comfortable with the Penguins standing pat because of these Issues. I still think third line center and one more defenseman, that formula should remain on the table at the trade deadline for Jim Rutherford, even though things are going swimmingly at this point for the Penguins. You could agree or disagree, and I'll take either side of the fence here, but just because they're playing great, I don't think that means you don't have to do anything. Again, 412, 333, 99, 39. The real question now becomes who of that batch of nine forwards are you ready to say goodbye to that batch of nine guys that I just rattled off there trying to soak up the last three spots? Who are you okay saying goodbye to? Is it Aston Reese or Sprong? You know, if it meant Broussard, I'd give up one of those two. Yeah, I would. Even maybe Connor Sheary, if he were involved with a high pick, because you do have Aston Reese or Sprong able to elevate to take that spot somewhere on the top three lines for Sherry. If Aston Reese is winning over Mike Sullivan, as he appears to be doing, and you'll hear from Sullivan on that later this hour, then maybe he's in the mix in front of Sprung. And, you know, this notion of Daniel Sprung, we'll talk to Dan Kovacevic about this and Mike Rupp, when they join us later on in the show. I like the idea of Daniel Sprung. I do. Give me the idea of a guy who just goes out there and scores goals. I'm okay with it. There's enough other guys that could do other things from the offensive blue line back to keep this team afloat and not have Daniel Sprong's lack of defensive ability blow them up in the postseason. Or, you know, to get you to the postseason, make sure you have more padding so you don't have to worry and scramble at the end to just make it in as a wild card. I like Sprong. I don't know how much they like Sprong. And if they like Sprong a lot less than we like Sprong, then Sprong ain't going to help you this year. And that's a huge part of this equation, a major part of this equation, is we can talk about the idea of Daniel Sprong all we want, but it might just be talk unless they want to bring him up and play him. So keep that in mind when you're doing your analysis of, oh, they're set, everything's fine, they're set. And I don't want to give up the asset of Daniel Sprong or Zach Gaston Reese, well, if they're Afraid to play those guys until they absolutely positively have to in the postseason, then what good have you done if you've held on to the assets for this year? So you tell me, who are you ready to say goodbye to? Who has to be held on to? And because they're playing so well, has that changed your opinion about what the Penguins need to do at the trade deadline? You can tweet me as well at Tim Benz PGH or call 412 333 9939. We'll talk hockey as it relates to the Penguins and the Olympics when we come back. As I mentioned, Team USA lost. I'll tell you how, and if you missed it, eh, you might not like it. and You might want to do something about it. That's next. Tim Benson for Mark Madden.
1: And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, big sexy. Hey, Mark. Love the show, man. You could have the iron sheet to humble one person. Who would it be? Sally Wiggins. Again.
0: VX at 105.9. Interesting quote from Clint Hurdle down in the first day of pitchers and catchers reporting, according to the Post-Gazette, quote, The place is going to explode when we win it all. The place is going to explode. I still believe that. I believe that, too, because by the time the pirates do win it all, the Earth will be enveloped by the sun because it's running out of energy, and it'll be the year 4229. We're all going to explode. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden today. Thanks for listening. Talked a lot of hockey to open things up. If you're just tuning in you missed the beginning of the show, I asked the question, are you okay with the Penguins lineup as currently constructed right now? We've gotten that question a bunch. If you are someone who felt that way, you probably had your belief reiterated last night by the way the team played against the Ottawa Senators. They've been fantastic at the top end of their roster. And um, I'm also of the opinion that the depth has been good but can improve. I want to know what you think. And if you are willing to make a trade for Derek Broussard, who did some good things again against the Penguins, as he so often does last night, who are you okay to see go out the door? I mean, everybody wants to do, as Mark so frequently says, all our bad players for all their good players, but which good players or good prospects are you willing to trade? Sprong? Aston Reese? I would say one, not both. Sherry or Rust? Again? One, not both, probably Sherry. A first-round pick would have to be involved in that to get anybody of consequence, I would think. That would be a third-line center. But you don't have to give up that much for a seventh defenseman. As I stated earlier, a second version of Ron Hainsey, who they might have gotten already in Jamie Alexiak, but I'd like to see one more. So that hockey talk is on the table, as is the Olympics today. Did you watch Team USA blow a 2 nothing lead? Who's in charge of the Team USA defense? Keith Butler. I mean, that was Slovenia, folks. That was five Blake Bortles skating around there, and they still beat Team USA. And actually, to that point, it wasn't five that beat them. It was three. The Olympics have three-on-three in pool play to determine an overtime winner. And I was wondering how people feel about that, because... 82 games of a regular season in hockey, yeah, okay, three on three, sure, why not? It's fun, it makes you drop your jaw, there's a lot of great passes, there's a lot of fantastic goals, but you know, one thing that makes three on three a lot of fun is the fact that the goalies are so good in the National Hockey League, they keep play alive longer to get more great looks, to get more action, to get more pace. I think that... We like 3-on-3 in part because it sets up for dramatic saves as much as it does tic-tac-toe goals. These goalies aren't good enough for that. A. B, there's more consequence to these games, right? I mean, I happen to think it should be at least 4-on-4 before you get to the shootout. 5 minutes of 4-on-4 or 10 minutes of 4-on-4. And I get the premise. We talked about this today when I was on the DVE morning show. You know, they got to churn these games along. There's a bunch of games at the arena they can't go on forever. I understand that. But... To me, 3-on-3 was something as um, important as emerging out of pool play and into the medal round being at stake. I would want to see either a longer version of 4-on-4 or a short version of 5-on-5. Make it real hockey before you get to the shootout. Again, it's totally different when you're talking about 82 games of a regular season where you've already gotten to the loser point anyway. And America did get a loser point today, so we're that much better than the Russians. Sorry, the Olympic athletes from Russia. But I'm just not a real fan of three-on-three three and something as important as the Olympics to get that hokey, that gimmicky, that quick. And, and it is gimmicky. It's fun, but it's gimmicky. The shootout is fun, but it's gimmicky. And I, I love all these people who say, Oh, three-on-three three is so much better than the shootout because the shootout is just a gimmick. What's three-on-three? I've always maintained this. You see way more breakaway opportunities. You watch an NHL game, you might see two, maybe three breakaways. One, maybe two. When's the last time you naturally saw three-on-three in a hockey game? It almost never happens. So don't tell me that you, you can't decide a hockey game by a shootout because it's too gimmicky when you have three-on-three out there. That's a gimmick, too. Don't kid yourself. Let's go to Dan, who's calling from New Ken. Hi, Dan. You're up first. Hey,
1: Tim. How are you? Good. Hey, i One of the things that I agree with you regarding uh, Sprong trading Sprong and um, uh, Connor Sherry, and I don't think that would hurt the Pens in the long run. But I think the problem that's going to hurt the Pens right now is the salary cap. I mean, Derek Pastard is a five million a year. The Pens only have one million
0: under the cap. Well, it's not five million prorated the rest of the year, but yeah, they do. They would have to make some room, right?
1: Yeah, and, and I believe that Bessard has another year left on his contract. So, yeah, so I don't know. What, what would your suggestion be then? I have to make some room, you know, salary cap wise. I, I, and that, I think that's going to be the, the huge obstacle that Jim Rutherford, and obviously he is having that obstacle because I believe.
0: Well, you know, where, you know where the biggest obstacle comes in now, Dan, is that Eric, uh, sorry, Eric, Ian Cole is playing well. Yeah. You know that that could have been room that was made there, but um, and, and maybe that's part of the reason why they were so uh, willing to have Cole sit to make us all forget how much better he is. I think than Hunwick or Ruedel because then it would have been easier to trade him. But then you put him back out there, you see he's good again, and then that salary that's very difficult to move at this point. So yes, I, I do that. I do think that comes into play to a degree. Dwayne, calling from the West End. Hi, Dwayne. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Big fan. What's going on?
1: Hey, so my question for you is, what would you do if you were Kevin Colbert in the offseason for the defense? I think their biggest needs inside backer, but I thought the most depressing part was how they got absolutely manhandled on the defensive line. I just want to see what you
0: thought. I agree with a lot of that. First and foremost, I would get rid of Mike Mitchell so you can open up cap space so you can get Broussard. That's what I would do. Oh, and then I'd get a safety in the second round. Like, I, I saw a couple of mock drafts that have uh, the Steelers taking uh, Evans, I think his name is, the linebacker from Alabama in the first round, the inside guy. I'm all about that. And then um, the safety from Penn State, Marcus Allen. Um, not only could he tell you everything that happened with O.J., but I think he'd be a really good player and a great fit. So I'd be all about getting those two and maybe a running back in round three. Steeler Wire just did a mock draft that had exactly that. I can't remember the kid's name from Oregon, but they had him as the running back in the third round. Uh, whoever. You can get another running back in the third round just in case you can't work out things for Bell long term and he's got to be on the salary cap and you start to build your running back by committee that way. Get a first rounder next year. Now we're going way down the line. But uh, I would say, there. look, over history, two areas where the Steelers frequently go out and get guys in free agency on defense. One, inside linebacker. Uh, Fox. They went out and got, they brought him in as a guy from free agency from the Packers. James Ferrier, they brought in via free agency. Uh, You know, they went out this year in a a pinch and got Sean Spence. Uh, You know, so they will use free agent dollars on occasion to go out and get an inside linebacker. All right, so that's one. And two is safety. Ryan Clark, they got Brent Alexander going way back. Uh, Mike Mitchell, those three guys were free agents. So I could see them. Addressing one of those two positions in free agency, then again at the draft at the same spot. Because it's not just about a starter next to Vince Williams. It's depth behind Vince Williams, too, and someone to push Vince Williams as well for even more playing time. Because as much as we all like Matakevich, it became abundantly clear that they like him very much as a special teams guy, but not a guy that has to play all the time in the regular defense. We'll talk to John Parado when we come back about people's heads exploding when the Pirates win the World Series. That's next. Tim Benson for Mark Madden, 105.9 The
1: X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden.
0: Mark, you struck my last
1: nerve. You say that like you think I would remotely give a dump. But do go on.
0: The X at 105.9. Tim Benson for Mark today. Joining me right now from the new Parado Report. It is the appropriately named John Parado. John, congratulations on the new venture. How's it going so far? Uh, it's, uh, I've gotten a,
1: a good uh, good response. Uh, people have uh, been very positive about it, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, a little something different. Uh, email, direct-to-email uh, newsletters I'm going to do this year. One on the Pirates, another on Major League Baseball, and uh, we'll see how it goes. You know, as you well know, Tim, uh, the media landscape has changed quite a bit here in the last few years and uh i'm just uh looking for different ways to, to try to keep reinventing myself
0: john longtime pittsburgh pirates beat writer and again go to the prada report and can you subscribe there john is that how it works Do you have to go yeah, somewhere else to uh, do so
1: yeah it'll have all the information there uh even a, a picture of me which i hope doesn't scare people off before they, they <laughs> look into the uh what the uh, pirate reports or Parado reports about and uh it has an uh, online store. It has a description of uh, everything uh, I'm doing, uh, what, I, what I'm what doing this year, and uh, how to order. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's even at a price that Bob Nutting might like. <laughs>
0: well, maybe.
1: <laughs> but I don't
0: know. Yeah, no, <laughs> it might, might cost a middle reliever somewhere down the line. John, yeah, I, I was true. so intrigued by it. What is it, only eight ninety nine a month, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. The, combo, uh, yeah, I'm offering uh, the pirate, uh, you know, you can get the pirate report for a month for four ninety or 99 or the. Uh, major league report for one month or five ninety nine or the combination of both for eight ninety nine and also uh have uh, deals for the full season uh for both the uh, single uh you know either either or or uh both of them uh combined. So uh a lot of different options and, and like I said very uh very easy to check it out. Uh describe exactly what I'm doing there uh with the Newsletters at least three days a week and probably a lot of times, uh, have even more than that during the season. And, uh, hope you have a little fun with it. Uh, a lot of inside dope, a lot of, you know, a lot of rumors and rumblings and, uh, you know, little tidbits and what have you. And, uh, and all wrapped into a couple of packages. So one, uh, just uh, strictly with the Pirates, uh, and the other, uh, with uh, all of Major League
0: Baseball. I was so eager to sign up, I sprained my ankle jogging over my computer like Daniel Hudson.
1: Well, I wondered, I've been waiting for you and Daniel Hudson both, for both of you to subscribe, because I figured both of you would, you know, certainly be, uh, you know, charter subscribers here in the first week, and when it didn't happen, I knew something happened, and I saw Daniel Hudson, and it sprained his ankle, and in camp, and, and now I know uh, you did the same thing. Well, so, I uh, mean, this is what you're
0: going to be writing all year, John. This is, it's going to be stories like this all year, isn't it? I mean, just a fitting start to what had been the end of an awful off season, right? Yeah,
1: it really is. I mean, you know, here's a guy who was the, the biggest off season move they made last year in the off season, uh, which kind of summed up uh, kind of the off season they had the year before too. Uh, came in, had an awful year and they hoped he'd been a bounce-back guy. He had a couple really good years in Arizona before he had an awful year in in 16, so he comes to Pittsburgh, has an awful year in 17, ends up not being the the primary setup guy they hoped he would be, and ends up pitching kind of in low-leverage situations by the end of the year because they couldn't trust him uh, with the game on the line. So he gets a fresh start in a bullpen where a lot of roles are open beyond Felipe Rivero as the closer, and you know, the second uh, second day of camp, uh, first official workout day, he uh, has to miss because of a sprained ankle. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a little reminiscent, and I'm not saying it's been as Garrett Cole, but you'll you recall two years ago, Tim, uh, Garrett Cole, on his first uh, first day of spring training, he had to stop throwing because he had a ribcage problem, and that just yep. seemed to be a bad omen, and uh, it ended up being a bad use of the Pirates, and uh, they haven't been very good since.
0: John, I saw the quote from Clint Hurdle today. The place is going to explode when we win it all. The place is going to explode. I still believe that. I look for the opportunity to stay and be a part of that. That's unwavering belief. Uh, that was Clinton, uh, What I where I saw it anyway, in the Post-Gazette. Now, you tell me, how long does he think he's going to be around exactly for that explosion to take place?
1: Well, you know, I know he, he, he's undergone. He started last winter, uh, you know, very... Uh, Strenuous health and wellness regimen, so maybe he does plan to live to 90, or, you know, at least manage the 90 and God bless him, I hope he lives to 110. He's a good guy, but, uh, uh you know, I, I understand everyone's optimistic first day of spring training, and it uh, kind of defeats the purpose upon the first day. You say, well, we're not going to be very good this year, but I also think you've got to be realistic, and, and I, I think one thing the pirates don't understand or They do, and they just think their fans are stupid, and they think that the majority of fans will actually buy these kind of things and say, "Oh yeah, you know, you know, our team, we can win the World Series this year." When they have. Very minuscule chance of winning. You won't say never, say never, but a lot, a lot of things would have to go right for them, and a lot of things would have to go wrong for a lot of other teams. But to come out and say something like that, I think it insults the fans more than excites them. I, I really think the Pirates underestimate just how baseball savvy their you know, people to buy tickets and people to watch the games on TV and listen to the to them on the radio are, and uh, I just don't understand what what that tries to accomplish. Uh, when they do something like that other than they get people, uh, you know, upset.
0: John Parado joining us. Make sure you check out the the, uh, Parado report that he has just started. You heard about it earlier in our interview. Pirates starting with pitchers and catchers down in Bradenton. And you brought up the name Garrett Cole. Obviously, he's gone. Andrew McCutcheon is gone. That leads directly to what we were discussing before, John, about this uh, sense of the Pirates trying to sell something that no one is really willing to buy Give me your best case scenario with those guys gone. What is the best case and, and what is the worst case? Like a win total wise, what's the window, how vast it can go either direction for this club as it's currently constructed.
1: Well, I think the best case scenario is Jamison Tyone steps into that number one role and has a really good year, wins 15, 16, 17 games. Uh, some of the other younger pitchers take another step, you know, take a step forward. Chad, cool, Trevor Williams, who, who I thought had a pretty decent second half last year. Uh, Yvonne Nova has a good year. Uh, Felipe Rivero has another lights out year, which he did last year, and it might might be hard for him to duplicate those numbers. Not that he isn't a good pitcher, but, I mean, those were video game-type numbers last year he put up, and it's hard to to pitch that well two years in a row. Uh, Starling Marte has to come back and be the all-star Starling Marte pre-PED suspension and show that he wasn't just a PED creation. Gregory Polanco has to step up and have a big year. Josh Bell's got to at least do what he did last year and maybe even build upon what was a really good rookie year. Uh, that's just the beginning of what has to go right for him. And in that uh, that scenario, they could still be competitive, but I still don't think even if all those things go right that they're better than the Cubs, Brewers, or Cardinals in their own division. In a worst-case scenario, they lose 90 games, 95 games, I you know, I know some people have really been pessimistic and say they'll lose a 100 games. I don't think they're that god awful bad that they'll lose a 100, but I certainly think that they're staring at a potential 90-loss season uh, unless, uh, you know, a few things go right, and they maybe find a couple of bargains here the longer uh, some of these free agents stay on the market here as spring training is open. Maybe they do find a few bargains, a few desperate players who will, for less than market value just to, to have a, a team and get ready on to go on the season, uh, much like they did uh, going way back to, to 004 when uh, Kenny Lofton and Reggie Sanders fell into their lap, uh, two pretty uh, good established major league players that they got at uh, bargain rates because uh, they, uh, you know, they found themselves without a job when spring training opened and that's what the Pirates really need uh, to have a chance.
0: The guys they got for Kutch and Cole, uh, any of them That you are significantly more optimistic about than the others, and and does your opinion differ or stay the same with what they have in house?
1: I am I am optimistic about all four of the guys they got from the Astros. I think you know, and rightfully so. I understand the fans were upset, and and I was you know just as an independent observer, I was you know thought that they should have got one of their top prospects. But the more they I look at it, they need depth they need players and I think all four of the players they got from Houston can be good big league players I think Joe Musgrove could be a good middle of the rotation starter I think Michael Feliz could, could possibly be a closer someday or certainly be a setup man uh, to Felipe Rivero is very similar he's a right-handed version of Rivero Rivero of course he came over two years ago from the national stem the big knock on him is he has a great arm but he doesn't throw strikes it, and, you know, they were able to get him to throw strikes. If they can do that with police, uh, they have another hard thrower at the back end of the bullpen. Uh, the scouts I talked to that saw Colin Moran in the Pacific Coast League last year, the third baseman, say the improvement he made was real. It wasn't just inflated by playing in a hitter-friendly league and playing in triple-A for a second straight year. They think that he's become a legitimate power hitter, hit 25 home runs in the big leagues, so certainly that would be an upgrade at third base. And Chris Martin, who will start the year at AAA, as an outfielder. Uh, you know, a lot of people say he's a fourth outfielder, but the scouts I talk to think that he can be, a little bit more than that, be a pretty decent everyday big leaguer. They like his power. They like his speed. They think he's adequate defensively. So uh, I, I do think the Houston trade could work out. The San Francisco trade, I'm not so optimistic with McCutcheon. Uh, you know, Cow Creek uh, has uh, had a... Uh, Control problems for quite a while in the minor leagues. I know he has a great arm. I know he throws 192 miles an hour or whatever outrageous figure they have him clocked at. But if he can't throw strikes, it makes it tough. And and the outfielder Reynolds, uh, I don't think that he's the type of guy that's going to be a star in the big leagues. I know people, you know some people said, well, he's you know, it's one of the Giants' better prospects, but the Giants also have one of the weaker arms. That, in, in all the big leagues, so he's not really wouldn't be a number four, or number five prospect in a lot of other systems. And I think at he best he's a bench guy in the big leagues. So uh, I do like the Astro trade though, and I do think all four of those guys can, can help the Pirates at some point and, and, and help them, uh, in, you know, significantly. Uh, in, you know, as time goes on.
0: Finally, John, Josh Harrison is still a Pittsburgh Pirate. Why and for how much longer?
1: Well I think what's happened is uh, the market for josh i think the pirates from my i understand talking to other teams and i and I understand the pirates point of view they were asking for a lot for him but uh you know they're asking for more than teams are willing to give up and you know it's a situation where uh, i think a lot of teams would want him. i know i would if I were a contender you, you know you could play adequate third base adequate second base you could put him in the outfield and he that's okay there He's, not really a shortstop per se, but if you needed him to play there for a week or fill in for a day here or there, he certainly can play that. We know he can hit when he's healthy, and he was healthy last year, and he made the All-Star game for the second time in his career. I think probably their best pack, he's their last really good trade chip they have, and maybe they are better served in this case if they're not getting what they want to hold off because I've got a feel when you get into July and there's a lot of teams in contention, that you know he can he can serve he can fill in so many different positions that a lot of different teams are going to have interest in him at the deadline. Maybe you get a little bit in more going at that point, and you get a team to, to give up a couple of really good prospects, or maybe you know a young big ligger or what have you. So uh, I, I can't fault them for that, but uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised. I thought he would be traded by now, but I can't imagine he will last the full season for sure.
0: John, thanks so much for the time. Greatly appreciated. Best of luck with the Parado Report, and we'll be reading throughout the course of the season.
1: Well, Tim, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's always good talking baseball with you, bud, and uh, thanks for having me on.
0: That is John Parado from the new Parado Report. I've just tweeted out, at Tim Ben's PGH, so you can subscribe, read it, read about it right there on Twitter, again, at Tim Ben's PGH, and you can find the link for John's site. Right in front of your eyes. Okay, we come back. Uh, we spoke a lot about the Penguins earlier in the broadcast after their win last night against the uh, Ottawa Senators last night. Zach Aston Reese and uh, Jay Gensel walked away as big stars in that game. Hagelin and Malkin hooking up for a gorgeous goal, too. But two guys kind of flew under the radar, and Mike Sullivan talked about both of them last night. You'll hear what he said next about these two players in particular that's next, here on your home for the Pens, 1059 The X.
1: And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Damn it, I'll be popular in Pittsburgh yet. Hey, Mark Ball fan. I think I gotta start with pulled pork nachos. Hey, Super Genius, how you doing today? Fantastic The X at 1059.
0: You need to buck up the center, will be the Pens and Crosby on the move. Coming to the zone, looks Aston Reese and shoots and scores! There's
1: <laughs> a first NHL
0: goal! Jack Aston Reese is
1: cast in! The Penguins lead 4 to 1. And he is smiling like a butcher's dog. Head to the bench in the high fives.
0: You know, I'm watching curling right now, and maybe this is just how my mind works, but all I'm thinking to myself while I'm watching this is, how drunk did they have to be to come up with this game on whatever frozen lake it was in Saskatchewan or Winnipeg or whatever? Or is this a Nordic game like Norway or Finland? What did they? I want to know what they first used. Like you know how you go back through the annals of time, and they used peach baskets for basketball. Like when they played lacrosse, it was uh, you know Roy Simmons, the great Syracuse lacrosse coach, would talk about how they used crab nets. Basically, they put crab nets on sticks, and how the Indians would just use sticks and twine and put the, like that's how they came up with the. It makes sense. What do they, they use aside from these big rocks, just like other big pieces of ice? These perfectly smooth stones with the little things on top. Like, What did they first use? And how bombed were they? No, nah, dude, it's like shuffleboard, but we fall down a lot. Like, how do they do it? These are, the, these are the things I ask when I'm watching the Winter Olympics, and I see nothing but sports that make no sense to me. Hockey makes sense to me. That was Zach Aston-Reese with his first goal. He got one more, in empty netter, set up by Sidney Crosby a couple times. He was a big star last night. Penguins went 6-3. to Heard the game on the X with Mike Lang on the call. Beating the Ottawa Senators by three. And then um, they also got a couple goals from Jay Gensel along the way. Good to see him bust out. He had two. Chris Letang had one. And uh, who did I skip over? Oh, that great goal from Geno and Carl Haglund, of course, too. We mentioned that before the commercial break. But two guys stood out, I thought, last night for the Penguins without standing out, kind of under-the-radar guys. And they were goaltender Matt Murray and defenseman Brian Dumoulin. Murray made some really good saves early, like within the first 40 minutes, to make sure that the Penguins had themselves a 4-1 lead at one point. Uh, Then they did give up a goal in the third, um, after allowing Ottawa to get back to 4-2 before the second period ended, but he was very good to keep them in front and allow them to build that cushion. And then Brian Dumoulin, if you look at the stat line for him last night, He had, I believe, the second highest time on ice amongst defensemen. He was a plus four. He had two assists. Mike Sullivan talked about the contributions of both those guys. I thought
1: Matt was really good, you know, especially in those first two periods. He made some big saves for us and, uh, you know, allowed us to get the lead. And like I said, I I don't think,
0: uh, you know, the way that the first two periods were played, we probably didn't deserve to have a lead. And so I think Matt was a big reason why. Um, you know, Dumo, Dumo. I thought had a strong game.
1: Him and Tanger both. I thought they played. They played really well. They were, they were making good decisions with the puck. They defended hard. You know, they're two really important players for us. They, they play against the other team's top players. They play real important minutes. Um, I thought their decision making was good. And obviously, when they chip in offensively, the way they do is it gives us a big boost. Hi,
0: right, that's Mike Sullivan. Yesterday, in his post game press conference, don't forget. That tomorrow night, we've got the game here on the X as well. Pre-game at 6, play-by-play at 7. Dion Phaneuf still hanging around in Pittsburgh and his new team, the LA Kings, in town to take on the Pens uh, with play-by-play coming your way with Mike Lang and Phil Bork. And we'll be at Buford's for the show tomorrow, 3 until 6, brought to you in part by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at cwelectricalservices.com. When we come back, more on the Pens. I posed the question for you earlier. You tell me, are you now happy enough with the Penguins as currently constructed that you don't think they need to make a move? Are they playing that well? Not me. Uh, I'm still in favor of them making some moves before things are said and done. 412 333 9939. And I want to get into Mark Madden's column that he wrote about Tom Bradley today in the Trib. We'll get to that as well. Tim Benz in for Mark. We're back in 30 seconds here on the X.